this session. One D and D. One D and D. Let's get together and play online. Join our adventure party as we delve into the social and cultural aspects of our favorite game, all while enlightening our taste buds with a random craft beer. So crack open your favorite Bardic Inspiration and roll initiative with us of Dice and Brews. Greetings, fellow adventurers. It's Ben, also known as the Forever DM, back with you with another exciting session of Dice and Brews, where we get a little bit more technical, a little bit more into the mechanics of D&D, and I got some party members to come along with me on this journey. First and foremost, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the returning, the defending, Hawaiian Justin, welcome back to Diamond and Bruce. I love your attempt. I loved your attempt right there. I love it. That was Gothar. Gothar is, uh, he got a little edgy. Uh-huh. Gave him a little bit of uh, in- bardic inspiration the last time you were on, and he decided to test his metalness. <laughs> yeah, guys, it's me, Justin, known as Hawaiian Freak, here to chat some more about D&D. All right, and also returning with us is, as close to this group gets as a rules lawyer, but not Ruly is Lucas. Do you really want to hurt me? <laughs> <laughs> hey, how are y'all doing? It's me, Lucas, here to talk more about D&D. Welcome back to the show. Woo! What's been going on with you guys? How's, how's the week been? I know we got, I'm excited. We got a session tonight going on. Yes, we do. So this will be the first time we actually report a, report, record a podcast and then go directly into a session. It's going to be epic. Uh, I'm excited uh, for very obvious reasons to us, but not to y'all. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Not yet. Right. My daughter, Emma, has found the Nintendo Switch. Oh, no. Or, oh, yeah. Yeah. So sure. it, it, it's quite remarkable because I don't know if you guys remember the first time you guys picked up a video game, a true video game console. SNES. And started playing it. But it's kind of fun to watch her reaction to Mario. You know? Oh, she's playing uh, Odyssey? No, she's playing uh, Mario Kart and Super Smash Bros. Okay, okay, cool. Which are, I mean, but, you know, she's a five-year-old, so she's not really into story just yet. She's all about mashing those buttons. Lucas, what was your first Nintendo game or game that you played on a Nintendo console or a console? On a console? So it was PlayStation 2, and the game was Gun. What's Gun? Uh, so, you know Red Dead Redemption? Mm-hmm. Oh, that It was one. like the very first Red Dead yes, Redemption right. ever. You know what? There used to be an arcade game. I think it's called Gunsmoke. Where you like it was the vertical side scroller with the with the western and you got the upgrade to the guns. It's kind of like that uh, old um, airplane game that you played in in the arcades with the joysticks and you, or Contra kind of when it was vertical. Or Contra, okay. You know, but you got the different guns. But anyway, there's a villain, and I'll never forget this. When you played the game, it would be on a wanted poster at the beginning, and they'd always have a catchphrase. And this guy's catchphrase was "Bury me with my money." Which was pretty cool. I was like, okay, that's cool. But when he killed him and he shot him off the balcony, he's marry me with my buddy. So it sounded like he was saying, marry me with my money. And I was like, what the fuck is going on with this guy? It's 2022, guys. Come on. There's all kinds of sexualities out there now. That, But this was like way back in the day. This was, I'm, we're talking like 19, yeah. <laughs> 1989, 1991, maybe. Uh, you know what? I'm sure they existed back then. It's just acceptable today. The 8-bit mm, recording. Yeah, that's what it is. Pixelated. <laughs> yep. Funny thing is, is like I was doing a lot of session prep today for our session tonight, and I was telling Lucas this earlier. As a DM, you can't be married to your content, really, because I started going through things and how things are going to match up with our other players at our table while focusing on one particular person and how they all marry together. I kind of scrapped everything that I had planned for like the last two weeks because our session was supposed to happen two weeks ago when we recorded, right. or last week when we recorded the previous episode above Dice and Brews. Mm. And I went through those notes and I kind of scrapped everything. And started fresh. So I, my brain is going at 100 miles an hour right now because okay. I'm like, what is happening? I don't know if I'm session prepping or if I'm doing a podcast right now. It's okay. I'm drinking an alcoholic beverage. I'm calming down. It's okay. <laughs> you know what? Since we have a lot of technical aspects to go over today, we're going to go straight to the what's on tap and get into these juicy technical bites because the happy hour of this is going to be even better than the pre-funk. 
have a pint, take a break, and relax. It's my favorite part of the show. So tell me, boys, what's on tap? All right, adventurers. So tonight, for what's on tap, Justin, you brought us a special uh, treat. Go ahead and tell us what it is. Yes, I did. I had it, uh, another drink in mind, but they ran out of it. So for today, um, I, by the way, I am not an alcoholic drinker at all. Zero alcohol in my system. We we know. <laughs> Just a reminder for all the listeners. But so this is our what- first non-alcoholic. This is our first. I need an alcoholic drink. This yes, is the first do. non-alcoholic beverage above Dyson Brews. Yes, and it is called butter soda. We're going to see how this is because I want so, to have some fun. Butter Soda is bottled by the Rocket Fizz Soda Pop and Candy Shops, LLC. They're out of Camarillo. Is that how you say it, John? I'm not sure. California. <laughs> and you can check them out at www.rocketfizz.com. All right. Oh, it smells like butter and soda put together. It smells absolutely <laughs> All awful. right. Cheers, boys. Cheers. Let's put that in. First sip of butter soda. (laughs) (laughs) We have gagging going on right now. You know what it tastes like? What? It's not terrible. Yeah, this is fine for me. It's it's absolutely awful. It's not terrible, I'm going to tell you that much, but it tastes like a movie theater soda. (laughs) It tastes like a movie theater in a bottle of soda. Yeah, like you got the fizziness and the carbonation of a regular Coke or Pepsi, whatever. With oh my God, with that <laughs> sugary butter in it, not possible to drink that. This is so weird. <laughs> this is Act Two popcorn in soda form. <laughs> the aftertaste, right? What there. can I get a squirt of butter in my popcorn? I mean, in my soda. Now, can you imagine the drink I was going to bring before was the enchilada soda? I would prefer that over this, and it tastes just like an enchilada. It's That's. Weird. Really weird. <laughs> now, when you say enchilada, is it like a beef enchilada or just enchilada sauce? Uh, enchilada sauce, I believe. This is so weird. No, I don't mind this. Not I don't mind my it favorite, either. It's, but... it's, it's weird in the fact that it's not normal, but at the same time, like I keep wanting to drink it to figure out what the hell's going on in my <laughs> mouth to my taste, my taste buds right now. <laughs> Pure sugar, I believe. <laughs> Pure cane sugar. <laughs> Pure gagging. Our resident rules lawyer says, there's no way you can have butter and soda in the same fucking bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like I'm not doing what's on tap next time. <laughs> so I'm now banned. Justin is now banned. So we're just going to banned to get all the drinks from now on. Yep, pretty much. Well, hold on. That's not how this works. This is a rating system and we're a party. We come together and we formulate and we, and we collaborate. My taste buds aren't the same as yours. That's why I invited you guys here. So you guys are introducing our taste buds to a new taste. I'm not going to say it's a great taste Mm. on either of your parts, but at the same time, it's a new taste. (laughs) We're going to keep going away on the buttered soda, and we're going to get into... They just released the first Unearthed Arcana for the new edition, so-called edition of D&D. They're saying no more editions, but... No more editions. Stop it. But we'll get into that. The only thing I like more than brew is homebrew. <laughs> the first release of the Unearthed Arcana for the new revision, we'll call it a 1D&D, and so they're, so they're not doing additions anymore. I feel like they did this document a little bit backwards. I kind of want to start with the rule changes that are in the back as opposed to character creation and backgrounds and stuff like that. Let's start with the spell list. So they have three spell lists. They have Arcane, Primordial, and Divine. The look of these spell lists are, are pretty cool. Like I, I like how they just limit it to three different types of magic. I feel like it's more like you can look at it and find what you need more efficiently this way instead of dividing up into five different wizard schools. And then on top of that, you have Primordial. And then on top of that, you have Divine. Three prime lists. But I'm also interested to see how they do class spells as well, because the one spell that I think that we all look for on the arcane list is not there, and that's Eldritch Blast. Yeah, I'm, I was looking for it. I'm a big fan of Warlocks, and it must be a class feature. So do you think, personally, like with them not putting Eldritch Blast on the arcane list, I know this is done in Arthur Arcana, I know this is low-level spells, do you think they're going to limit who can have certain spells like Eldritch Blast? To do that, they would have to put... Multiclassing, I'm assuming, is still going to be very much a thing in one D&D. I feel like it's going to be more of a thing with all the customization that you have going on. I feel like they're not going to limit multiclassing as heavily as it is right now. So to get then 
Eldritch Blast. Maybe it's not a level one feature for Warlocks, you know? Maybe that's a three to five feature. So once you dive in... (laughs) The bread, butter soda, the bread and butter soda of Warlock is no longer a cantrip? Uh, it very well could be, or you know, it still could be a cantrip, and it's just unlocked later. That way, it forces people to singular class into warlock instead of do that one level dip that a lot of yeah, people well, do. Yeah, well, I feel like warlock. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like warlock is like the most multi-classed class to dip your toe into. That or fighter. People love the action surge, mm-hmm. and people love the hex blade. It's just the two biggest well, things. And then you, on top of that, you get uh, on the fighter and on on the warlock, you get those abilities right at first level. You don't have to wait two. Well, on um, it. So they dip two levels for the action surge on the uh, fighter. Okay, you are correct. I'm sorry. So just like, but the, and then that's why Rules they dip. Lawyer. They dip rogue so you can get the cunning action. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's interesting. I'll be I'll be interested to see what happens with Eldritch Blast and it's either continued popularity or diminished popularity moving forward. Mm, that's scary. The next thing that I, I want to dive into is tools. And it looks like that if you're proficient with a tool set now, you get to add your proficiency bonus to the ability check. And then on top of that, if you have proficiency in the tool that you're using, you also get advantage on that check. I love the idea that they're making tools more proficient and more significant in this game. Other than just Steve's tools. Yeah, I mean, at least uh, playing, I don't really think too much about the tools. when like it, It's there when you make the character creation, but then it's just so whatever. It's just after. gone, yeah. yeah. And I, I think tools being a prominent part of your background and what tools you're proficient in also makes it a significant part of your character. I mean, they're really diving into like backstories and building characters, and this just seems to fit perfectly. I mean, the only real tools that I remember ever having to use is tinkering tools and thieves tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that we're going to see a lot more things come up with tools. I think they're making them a prom- more prominent part of the game, and I like that. I also like the fact that every tool set is the same price. <laughs> like, that, honestly, that- that's another thing is, like, they're making gaming sets, instruments, tool sets. Instead of a bunch of random-ass prices, they're all one different or, – or, like, gaming sets are one price. Musical instruments are one price. Uh, tool sets are one price. They're all one price. It's so much easier for a DM to be like, yeah, you can have that for 15 gold. Yeah, you can have that for 10 gold as opposed to, let me get into my book and see how much a dice gaming set costs. Right. Just fucking make it one price. The next thing that I want to get into about this PDF is the D20 test. I like the fact that they're using this as a combined term for attack rolls, saving throws, and then uh, ability checks. You don't have to say all three of them when you're trying to describe to somebody like, hey, how does one do this? Well, you got to make an ability saving throw. You can just say it's a D20 test. I don't know. It it puts a little mystery out there, right? Because now you have to say, are you adding my strength to it, DM? Am I adding my dex to this DM? Okay, so the way I read the D20 test is like, you know how in books or in modules they say, roll a D20 to determine blah, 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 all three of these things, mm-hmm. saving throw, ability check. When you're talking about a certain thing, like an ability check, then a DM can be like, hey, look, I need you to roll this for an ability check for this strength check or whatever. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're calling D20 test is the umbrella term for all three of these is so you can describe, I think, better how to use the D20 or how D&D uses the D20 easier for other people to comprehend as opposed to a check. It's a test. Mm-hmm. For, I, so for if this would be mainly for uh, newcomers then. I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's more of a streamlined thing as opposed to a rules change or anything like that. It's just giving it a universal term. Now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, I'm, it's not the most favorite thing in the book. I feel like it's kind of like ribbon feature. It's just, I'm going to say it this way now. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think it's always a little bit better to say, hey, give me a strength saving throw. Or, hey, can you give me an acrobatics check? You know the best thing about that is? What? You're the DM. You're God. Yeah. You are God. <laughs> you can use whatever term you want to. Just be prepared to use D20 test. Yeah, no, yeah, for me, I'm just like on the fence on that side of it. So. Yeah, it's, it's neither here nor there. I just thought it was interesting that they made a one yeah, word to rule there. them all. 
Let's talk critical hits. It no. seems to be a juicy subject between <laughs> YouTubers and, and podcasters galore. They've nerfed some classes into the ground. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that because they've nerfed monsters completely, and I don't think that's a bad thing, to be honest with you. Now you're insured that your big bad evil guy or your monsters aren't getting one-shotted by players that just run rampant with smites. Sneak attacks. <laughs> All that stuff. So weapons and unarmed strikes just roll the weapon or strike damage a second time. No smite, no sneak attack, no spells, no monster crits. Mm. I rather like this. I like this a lot, actually. To me, it feels more organic. To me, it feels a little bit more down to earth. You get that feeling of level one threat the whole way through a campaign now. You don't have to go to astronomical amounts of hit, hit points for your monsters or hit points for your characters to get that nice down home D and D feel. I feel like higher level campaigns now are more obtainable because the damage that you're pumping out isn't astronomically large. I, I get that. Um, I guess it's just a matter of play style for whoever's coming in. Cause I feel like a lot of people that are hating on this are number crunchers. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, Power gamers. Yeah. And Mid-mexers. it's a way to play. And um, I am, like 10% on that. So that, that's just my thing. For those coming into D&D, once one D&D becomes the norm, right? I just, I do feel a bit of pity for them that they're never going to experience that massive divine smite crit or the massive sneak attack crit that the whole table ooze and awes at. And they're like, oh my God, he did 30 damage? Yeah. I love hearing that. Yeah, but I mean, it's the best. Okay, so the... Arguably, the best part about 5th edition and what they did was they made it hackable, right? Like, they made it so the DM can pretty much change anything. And the fact that it's arguably backwards compatible doesn't really necessarily mean that you have to use the crit roll, the d20 test, any of this stuff. I think people miss that small disclaimer part in the beginning of the DMG or the player's handbook that says, these are strictly optional rules. Your DM is the final word, blah, blah, blah. It's however your DM wants to run the table. Would you call DM a god? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> he definitely doesn't drink butter soda. <laughs> no. It ruins his figure. <laughs> the next thing that I want to get into is conditions. I really like what they did with Grappled. I really like the fact that Grappled has consequences now. You can't just sit there. I feel like it's a wrestling match right now with Grappled where two people are grappling and they're just like straight punching each other over and over again and, and nothing happens because of it. So now your attacks have disadvantage on anyone except the grappler. Before, I don't think that was that was a thing. You could attack anybody, you just couldn't move. Is that what? It, I think that was it, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then on, on top of that, you are movable by the person grappling you. They can drag you. They can carry you. The only problem is that they, they suffer the slow condition, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And then to escape it, it's a, it's a dexterity or strength D20 check at the end of your turns. D20 test, sorry. There you go. I'm combining the two now. I'm trying to get into the new groove, you know? But I feel like now they've done something with grapple. They make grapple a thing. Now you can, if you're a strength character, you can take that goblin and carry him with you. You can pull him with you where you want him to go. Hey, you know, you said it in the uh, description there, the slowed condition. What is the slowed condition, Ben? So the slowed condition is now you have limited movement. It's not halved. You spend one extra foot of movement for every one foot you move, which I like that wording a lot better than halved because mm-hmm. sometimes halved is weird. If you have 45 feet, how do you half that movement? And I like it because what if in the middle of your moving, where if you were dragging and your movements halved and then you let them go at five feet, do you only have 10 feet or do you get back your 15 feet? Yeah, that's the other thing. Also, if you're slow to tax against you have advantage. I like that too. It should be like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the opposite of haste. It's almost like obvious. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like, why wasn't this in 5th edition? You didn't know this already? Also, because you're slowed, it's only obvious that you'd have disadvantage on dexterity saving throws. Yep. Absolutely insane. I like the slowed condition. I like that they actually put some parameters on limited movement. They actually put some parameters on grappled. I like all everything they've done with conditions so far on this Unearthed Arcana. Let's talk about inspiration inspiration this is another 
trigger subject that everybody's mm-hmm. having a hard time with is they're actually trying to make inspiration a part of the game, not just an optional rule. If somebody does something inspirational, the DM gives them inf- inspiration. And, and we've had everything from advantage on checks to adding dice to your rolls and everything. So now they're kind of pigeonholing inspiration into it just gives you an advantage on a roll. And it's any D20 test. You can also achieve inspiration if you roll a, a 20 on a D20 test. If you roll a 20, you get inspiration if you didn't have it before. You lose inspiration if you don't use it before a long rest. I feel like... And if they, you already have inspiration, you can't get it again. Yeah, they have very much cheapened yeah. inspiration, in my opinion. How so? So, there are now so many ways to get inspiration. I'm going to take a rogue, for example, right? Who probably does the most checks out of anybody, besides maybe your party face. Check for traps. Unlocking uh, doors. Sneaking around. Pickpocketing. And so... He's going to get this quantity number of rolls in, these D20 tests. So his chances of hitting a 20 and getting extra inspiration over the rest of the party is so much higher. Okay, but he doesn't have extra inspiration. The thing is that he can give his other party members inspiration if they don't have it too, though. So would you consider the rogue in that instance more of a of a resource to the party or a hindrance to the party? Because he wouldn't be a hindrance. So is inspiration really cheapened if he can only have one? Or is it heightened? If he can give the rest of the party inspiration as well. To me, it's just how it's earned now. That's my main thing. It seems super easy now to get it. We, we haven't even gotten to that. Humans just get inspiration when they wake up. That's, you know, that's just a whole nother subject. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking humans. <laughs> Two feet inspiration when let, you wake let up. Let me just wake up and oh my God, I, I am inspired. inspired today. <laughs> hey, I don't know about you guys, but I wake up and I feel inspired. No, no, I don't. Never mind. Mm. <laughs> what you were saying, Ben, it's going to really depend on your player. They could be a great team player, right? Or he could be a very selfish player. What about, I, I definitely see your point. I never thought about inspiration. Like the quantity of dice and I'm rolled is going to equal more d20s natural d20s and that that player that doesn't really get involved as much is not going to get inspiration as much it's going to really be up to the dm to try to fucking head in the game you know (laughs) we we all have those players at the tables who are a little bit quieter than the rest they don't like to get involved too much but they like to be there with everybody and i feel like they're gonna they're getting cheapened out of this deal a little bit oh well also the dm gets to still go back and give the players inspiration so when you have those quiet players that make those significant contributions in a moment of time, you can give them inspiration too. Oh, it's like DM is God. <laughs> <laughs> Going back. So what that. you're saying is all this stuff is optional. Yes. 100%. Absolutely. For all the haters out there, your DM can fix your issues. <laughs> Just dial no. 1-800. <laughs> fix your fucking game. <laughs> don't, worry, don't worry, Wizards of the Coast. We got this. Yeah, I'll <laughs> handle it. Unarmed strikes. Oof. I think this is one of the best things that they've fixed. To be honest with you, your unarmed strike, it's not really that powerful, but now you can do a plethora of things with it. Now you can do damage with it. Now you can grapple somebody with it. Now it's not, grapple is not an opposing strength check anymore. If you hit somebody with an unarmed attack, you can be like, I grabbed them, or you can shove them. I like that they've done stuff with those things because before it seemed like at tables, it was like, well, I want to grapple them. How do I do that? And it became this thing like, well, I think it's like this, but maybe it's like this or how maybe it's like that or I want to shove them because it makes sense for the story. Now, all you got to do is make an unarmed strike attack hit and you get to do whatever it is you wanted to do. Push, grapple, do damage. I like this part of it. Yeah, certain things about D&D when it comes to that, making it simplified definitely helps out and that's a good example of just roll for our unarmed strike yeah, and do all your do all your shit but what, what, what does this guy have to say uh, i think it's great okay. and uh i really think that changing it up like this they might make monks viable in a campaign i and that's we'll see when the class on earth arcana comes out of right. whether the monk gets an upgrade or not mm-hmm. but that's it for the rules stuff those are the juicy rules that, is there anything else you guys found juicy about the rules that you want to bring up well i you know I'm sure you'll talk about it later, but one of the new rules in there uh, dealing with dwarves, the tremor sense, I know that you're a big fan of. That is. I I like that. I like that they made stone cunning a viable aspect to dwarves as opposed to you just know stone. (laughs) They knew all the stone. stone. I know, but at the same time, but now you get to actually be a dwarf. You know, remember, I mean, you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Remember that that scene where they put their ears to the ground, they can see or hear the tremors. Mm Mm-hmm. From the part from the army moving ahead of them and how far they were, you didn't know how much mon- how many they were, 
just like with the dwarf, but you can see how maybe how far they are from you within a certain distance, I think it's 60 feet or something like that. Or you get this added extra as a dwarf, not just, oh, you get advantage on your history checks when it comes to stone. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like as a DM, every time I had a dwarf in my party, I had to put one of those instances in there where I I have to let him use a stone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think they really did a great job with Tremor Sense because it's not overpowered. It's not a, you know, as you can read it, it's not a form of sight, but it is a great knowledge check right there. It could be like, hey guys, there's somebody over here. I don't know who they are. I don't know how big they are, but there is somebody on the other side over here. They have to actively use it. Mm -hmm. So it's a storytelling aspect as well. If you forget it's there, then you don't get it. It's not like alert or, well, now the alert's nerfed, but, Mm -hmm. or even like observant. You don't just get it. It's not just automatically a thing. You have to use it. I mean, the player's like, but I'm always using Tremor Sense. <laughs> I'm going to cast Detect Magic all the time. <laughs> what player would do that? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely like what they do with Tremor Sense. I, how do you guys feel about them taking away the different types of dwarves, the different types of halflings, the different types of um, gnomes, but also giving still three types of elves? It's kind of a little weird. I missed that part when reading. I didn't know that was. Yeah, they kind of nerfed dwarf in the ground, specifically mountain dwarf, which was like the greatest race in the game. Yeah, well, that was like the most OP race in the game. So, um, so you know, the dwarfiest dwarf now, right? Yeah. And well, they, and then they also yeah, so you have three types of, of elves, three types of um, three types of ardlings, three types of tieflings, tieflings. So you have three types of right. things. But then you're going to get only one type of halfling and one type of dwarf. See, I missed that part. I didn't know they just made it one. Yeah, just one. One dwarf to rule them all. I don't um, like that. Well, so <laughs> dwarf has had its time in the light, right? Fifth edition has been its Now pinnacle. it's all about the ardlings. Horse or mole-faced creatures that can fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if uh, they're still in the air, they fall. But with their time, I, I think they did a good job in toning the dwarf back i'm sure there's gonna be all the people who are huge dwarf lovers who are like one D sucks i hate it they ruined my all because game they took my dwarf away <laughs> they ruined the mountain Calgon, dwarf. take my dwarf away <laughs> i can understand why they they did it right absolutely that's probably why eldritch blast is not on the fucking arcane <laughs> list either all these things that everybody's been pumping and feeding into it's kind of like the game magic the gathering if too many players play one card, guess what? The card's getting banned. Don't play the same fucking thing and spice it up a little bit and your shit won't get taken out. Yeah. And then again, your DM is God. Yeah. DMs, if you like Mountain Doors, you can still play with fucking Mountain Doors. Yeah, you can bring them right back in. It's backwards compatible. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, what do you guys think about Ardling? Everybody's uh, saying don't give... Okay, so here's the thing: is like when Eric Hooker come out and everybody's like, "Oh, they're flying at low level." Ah, DMs have a bitch. <laughs> Look, there's ways to combat everything, and the thing with Ardling and their angelic flight, like he said earlier, Lucas, if they're still in the air when they end their movement or run out of movement or end their turn, they fall. It's not OP. It's not broken. Does it give them a little bit of boost? Yes, but it's only equal to the what. Their, I think it's their, di- their, movement. their, movement, di- their movement distance. Which so is generally these, 30. Yeah, so all these people saying like, oh, the whole goal is to go up the tower and rescue some, some, well, make your tower 120 feet. Don't make it 30 feet. There's ways around it. I love the Ardling. The only thing I don't like about the Ardling is why do they give them fucking animal heads? No, no, hear me out, right? Hear me <laughs> out, okay? Is like angels generally are animalistic somehow when you really look at it. And they're supposed to be like... What about the Asimar? So the Asimar... I'm about to say, I think you said that wrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, I said it right. Yeah. DM is God. <laughs> DM is God. Uh, they are demigods in a sort of sense of the angels, but this is a sub race of angels, right? It's kind of like uh, take Lord of the Rings. There's the Valar, and then there's the Maiar. These are way lesser Maiar, but and there are you shall not pass har. <laughs> uh, but. I can understand the different animal faces because you can play a different, you know, character if it's the same race. Like one may have an eagle face and one may have the face of a wolf. So then what about like if I'm playing an eagle and I have a party member that's an Aarakocra, like how do you differentiate the two? I was thinking about that. They're definitely going to look different. I'm imagining a human body 
with well, a... Yeah, yeah, you're right. I guess you're right. So they're definitely like Egypt-style gods. Yeah, there you go. See, I was trying to find something to compare it to, and that's... Egyptian-style gods, I okay. should say. Yep, that's probably a closer comparison. But I love them. I, I think it's great because now it's... You've always had tieflings, right? They're, they're kind of tied into the layers of hell. Now you have something that's tied into the layers of heaven. The only thing I don't love... Is how many layers of heaven are there? <laughs> oh, it depends on uh, what religion. But uh, the only thing I don't Let love... Let me tell you about our Lord and Savior, the DM. <laughs> <laughs> the radiant resistance. I think it's... Uh, unless you're playing a campaign where your big bad guys are using radiant damage, it's really not going to come up that often. No. Yeah, so maybe it will, though. Can I mean, in the right campaign, of course. It could be a god tier, you know... Uh, attribute, or if you're fighting another cleric or paladin, you know you're you're right. Why? Okay, here's the thing: is like so they released the three different tieflings in I want to say it was Morden Cadence when they went into detail about the tieflings, and since then we haven't really heard anything from them. I think it's kind of weird that they introduced the three levels of tieflings now, along with the Arlings. I mean, maybe not weird; it's probably done on purpose for sure. But because, so do you think? They added those because it wasn't a main feature in the in the main book. Do you think Tiefling would have got nerfed along with Dwarf and Halfling if they would have had three different Tiefling races inside the player's handbook as well? Because I know Tiefling is all about like the starting spells, like what you start with or how you flavor your text of Tiefling. Same thing with Ardling, like your starting spells, how you want to build it and stuff. Yes, um, they probably would have nerfed it, but I think splitting it up uh, as they have in this new Unearthed Arcana might be a bad thing for the Tiefling. Why? It's going to favor one over the others. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, man. Because like, there's one that stands out above all the rest. Yeah. So let me uh, let me look right here. Abyssal, third level spell, Ray of Sickness. Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and then for your Chthonic, False Life. Thanks. Sounds like a cantrip to me. Then you have the actual real tiefling. The only tiefling. The infernal. Hellish rebuke and darkness. Thank you very much. <laughs> and darkness. <laughs> the other ones get okay spells. You know, hold person, rave enfeeblement. But man, that infernal tiefling oh, is going to be hands down probably the most played tiefling. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so in the next player's handbook reiteration do you see them going to the tfs tiefling then because <laughs> everybody's gonna play infernal is I, there is there a list like that for the ardlings where um where one is heavily favored above the other ones or are they pretty much even no 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 it was definitely favored as well and so it's this is gonna fall into more of your power gamers right mm -hmm. they're gonna really break it down really look at it and with the ardling you have the exalted heavenly and the idyllic and they also come with their own spells, you know, thaumaturgy, light, guidance, divine favor, cure wounds, healing word, and like lesser restoration, zone of truth, and animal messenger. <laughs> uh, in my opinion, probably the mm. heavenly is going to be the most played. It's yes. going to be your power gaming healer. I'm going to be an artling life cleric with the medic background. And I'm gonna take and I get these bonus ones, or is it heavenly? I'm gonna be a heavenly ardling cleric, life domain cleric with the healer background. Boom! <laughs> so I win. Nobody dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that is one of the faults in them. Is these spells? They if they really wanted to not have one heavily weighed over the other, they should have just left it up to the players to decide. I think that that's where they're missing the mark, and I think that's why I'm talking about these these three different choices. Is why don't they just give them? Listen, here's your elf. Pick one of these spells, or pick one of these um, sub race thing racial feats that you get. If you're a halfling, here's your halfling traits that you get. Pick some. They want it. The old aim of one D and D is to make it more customizable. Make it more customizable. Stop pigeonholing people into picking certain things when you know damn well that the other things aren't as powerful as one. I'm just looking at it as a new player. It would help when you don't know what to make, and then it starts clicking to you once you see those kind of levels. You're like, oh, now dots. I can see I can do this and this versus having a whole list. They're like, I'm too overwhelmed. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's the only thing yeah. I can see a benefit. But otherwise, I, think, I agree. Just 
make the whole listen pick. And you but decide. also going back to the DM is God. I think that if I was going to have a person pick Ardling or Elf or Tiefling, I'd be like, pick one of them. Just pick one. And then at their next level hit, pick one that, that fits your character. You don't get these automatically. You just got to pick one. Whatever one fits you. And we all know Unearthed Arcana, subject to change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't think so? I think this is already written. <laughs> I think they're just rolling it out as a play test. Because how does one play test race? You can't play. There's nothing to play test, test it with. Listen, I'm going to take all this and put it in Lost Minds of Fandelver. And we're going to run it. How? Bet. <laughs> Backwards compatible. <laughs> That's fine, but you don't have classes yet. So you don't have the mm-hmm. new updated classes yet. So how does picking race? And then you pick class. And right now, classes give you ability scores too. So guess what? Now your fucking 1D&D characters on this Unearthed Arcana are OP as shit. This is not playtest. This is already written. Mm. No, I, I, I get you, Ben. I can see that as well. But I also think that they're exposing it to people like a playtest so people have time to digest it. How many people did you read or write or, or how many people did you read or watch videos on that were just flipping out about fucking, mm-hmm. oh my God, one D&D is going to fucking ruin the world. There is a lot of hate going on for it right now. And I, most of it's clickbait, let's be honest here. Most of the well, YouTubers. I mean, it's the hot subject right now. Why do you think mm-hmm. I'm doing an episode about it? Of course. <laughs> but it's, it's still an improvement. Like, you look at this, they listen to their community, right? They better be listening to us right now. And they... They're fixing things. Take a look at your feats. They fixed a lot of the feet issues. I think alert is 100% better. What do you mean you can't be surprised ever? Well, surprise was never really a part of the game with their initiative system, how it was anyway. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. And I do like the fact that now going back into the characters, now that we finished with the races, is they're making backgrounds relevant how many times when you're creating characters do you worry about class race and you're just like well i want this skill so i'm just gonna pick this background because it doesn't make any sense and this is what i get now with backgrounds you first of all you can create your own which is amazing create your own fucking background all the time do that also you can do half races create your own half race you can make them look however you want but you can have the abilities of one one race amazing that's also why i think they should have done that Instead of giving them three elves, three half or three tieflings, three hardlings, make it all customizable. Or if you're going to jump on a customizable train, then jump all the way on. You can't have your foot dangling off. It might get ripped off. But I'll, I, I, I like backgrounds. I like what they did there. I like that the, the everybody gets a feat. I don't like that humans get two feats. That's fucking weird to me. I feel like with backgrounds, they're like, hey, everybody chooses variant half uh, variant human anyway. Let's get let's give everybody one feat. And they're like, well, how can we make humans better? Let's just give them two feats. That's cool. Give them two. So just like we were talking about with the dwarf and had its heyday, we all know the human, I'm not talking about variant human, but the human was never played in 5th edition. I play human in real life. I did. I don't want to play a human in the game. Yeah, so I think they are trying to make humans relevant again. Poop. I'm the outlier on that. I love playing human in 5th edition, but that's just... Me, I think you just found yourself at such a disadvantage as a human. I don't, I don't know. For me, it's just how I wanted to play the game. How I, I, I just like putting myself into the game. That's why. Like, forget about the stats, the numbers, the abilities you get. It was there for the story. Mm-hmm. That's, that was my take on it. That's why I'm an outlier on this. When it comes to actually, like, yeah, you're your, the exception, not the rule. Yeah, but I like that. I think that's why I like playing dwarves so much. Not because I like mountain dwarves, just because I like playing dwarves. Because you know what? I'm taller than an average human being, but I like to play the squatty, fucking little thrusty, fucking slow guy. It's just the way I roll with a huge ass beard. It's confirmed. I like that Ben's part. a power gamer. He's <laughs> <laughs> a mountain dwarf every time. Observer mountain dwarf. Gloomstalker ranger. But I I will agree with the backgrounds with you, and I'm excited for some of these because they make sense guess what you know me farmers out there who all of a sudden decided that guess what i'm a freaking adventurer now great all of them pilgrims <laughs> they came across the way and all of a sudden pilgrims are relevant and i think one of the ones that i really enjoy is gladiator you know it, it was an option before uh on like i think it was actor or oh, i can't remember i think it was performer or something, performer like, that. Yeah, or something like that right and that was just like one of the options but now it's his own thing 
I do like the fact that these feats that they've given us are first level feats, and some of them are repeatable where you get better advantages as you stack them, and some of them are just level one feats. I don't feel going through this list of feats without getting into great detail on them that any one of these is busted, broken, going to get chosen one above everything else. The only problem that I saw was if you are a halfling with luck, and these are power gamer things coming out of me, you're a halfling with luck, and then you choose lucky. <laughs> this also leads into the inspiration thing. How many fucking inspiration points is this guy going to be able to hand to the rest of his party because he's got stacks on stacks on stacks? Yeah. But then again, if you're playing with a table full of power gamers and your DM is a power gamer, then it's fun. It's how you have fun. Just like the first book in 5th edition, the Player's Handbook, these are guidelines. You play to have fun. You don't necessarily have to live and die by the rules in this book. Because they're not rules. They say them. They're guidelines. Play to have fun. That's why you have a zero session. So you can talk about how you guys have fun. They sort of fixed Lucky. Not for the uh, power game aspect of Halfling and Lucky combo. That's still broken. But a one's a fail. Now, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you can't re-roll that. Yeah, it, it's a failure. Sorry, Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Reginald. But He's pissed. He started blasting. <laughs> I will say uh, on your earlier comment uh, that some of these aren't, you know, they're not ever going to not get picked. Uh, there is one feat in here that I think is absolutely useless and crafter. What's that feat? So, crafter. That's the background, right? Crafter? Uh, no, it's a feat. Okay, what was, what's so, the background that it's attached to? Uh, it is not attached to anything, but I'm guessing you could put it as a... When you build your own background? Yeah, when you build your own. But uh, He's crafty! You're adept yes, at crafting is. things. Uh, you gain tool proficiency with three different artisan tools, and whenever you buy a non-magical item, you receive a 20% discount. <laughs> yeah, How often I, do you I, buy non-magical items after level three? <laughs> <laughs> Only if you're playing Dragon Heist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so hey look man there's plenty of of uh, actual play podcasts where people just shop D. i'm sure that if you went to and played an actual play game where you're doing nothing but bartering and selling and creating your own business crafter would be <laughs> crafter would be an excellent feat to take in those kind of situations dms are going to hate having to do math right well that's why all the all the things are streamlined now and they all no are, no no 20 percent discount go yeah, ahead and do fine. that quick math for me you know, i don't want to do that <laughs> <laughs> see that's what i'm talking about but i'll have a calculator <laughs> <laughs> all right so that's the crunchy that was so crunchy that's more crunch. Oh, mom, mom, crunch that's more crunchy than up dice and bruises ever got yeah exactly thank you in our happy hour topic, now that we spent 40 minutes talking about the crunch of 1D&D, we're going to get into what we think that D&D should change, or what we would like to see in the new revised 1D&D. Come on, get happy hour. <laughs> All right, the happy hour of this episode is going to be a little bit shorter just because we spent so much time on the crunch. But it's also going to be about what we want to see as a group in the next revision of 1D&D. And I'm going to start it off in traditional initiative rules to me are kind of lackluster. They're kind of not so cinematic. I want to see them create an initiative system where it creates more cinematic moments. And when you get into those higher level campaigns, you're not spending obscene amounts of time per player, per turn, where one round that's supposed to be six seconds is lasting 45 minutes. Uh, we do initiative at our table differently because of Ben, mm-hmm. and it works. Ben, how does your initiative work? Well, the initiative system that I use is, for lack of a better term, top guys and bottom guys. Power bottoms. Power bottoms. <laughs> but the reason I, I use this initiative is because it allows metagaming happens at a table and strategy happens at a table. I don't want to take away from my players the ability to strategize or collaborate attacks or positioning against monsters because that stuff would happen in real life. So I think it should happen at the D&D table. It creates a moment where you also have the opportunity because we roll every round initiative. Mm -hmm. So you have the opportunity to maybe get two attacks in a row. Monsters always go in the middle for us Unless they roll a natural 20 and then they get the upper hand and they go first. So I have all my monsters in one initiative in the middle. They go between the top guys and the bottom guys. 
Everybody who rolls an 11 or above goes in the top group, 10 or below in the bottom group. It creates this atmosphere where everybody goes at once. And since we have seven seven people at our, at our table, it, it kind of can be chaotic. But at the same time, players police, you guys police yourselves. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do it so much. You guys just have to tell me what you're doing. Yep. But it also creates this, this sense of urgency that if you have two or three top guys going at the same time, the last person to go is like, oh, I need to do something. I need to do something because everybody else did something. Mm-hmm. And, and it creates a more cinematic, more organic feel to combat. And your tactical guys, for myself with my spells, I generally like to go last in that little group of tactics right there because I can cast the spell to save my barbarian or not <laughs> save him. I kind of kill, kill him. him. <laughs> yeah. Or... You know, cast the spell to stop the bad guy from running away. You know, when I first started my my whole DMing aspect, I was a very player versus DM oriented. I was very anti-player because I was protecting my my combats and my bad guys. Now that I have some more experience with this and I'm a little bit more loose and I want to tell a good story and I want everybody to have a good time and, and be part of an epic adventure, I feel that it's my job to set you guys up for heroic moments so you guys can knock the pins down. It's almost like putting the bumpers up on, on the alley of the bowling lanes. <laughs> so even if you don't clear those, those, if you don't hit those bumpers that I set up for you, you guys are still straight aiming for the for the pins at the end of the lane. Mm-hmm. You guys create your own heroic moments, even if I set you up for certain ones. It also This initiative system also allows you to have a bigger group of people at one table without taking... Unless it's supposed to. I mean, the combat that we had last time was supposed to take that long. It was supposed mm-hmm. to feel epic. Even when if you're fighting a handful of goblins, it shouldn't take three hours to down a fucking horde of goblins if you're high levels. I, I don't know. I just I want to see a better combat system. Not a better combat system, a better initiative system for mm-hmm. combat. And I feel like our initiative system kind of still allows like your gloom stalkers and your people that need the high initiative counts their initiative is still an in favor. It's still part of them. It's still a, a skill that they can use, but it also doesn't allow combats to bog down or take a significant amount of times. I would love to see that uh, your initiative system be the way it is. Absolutely. In this next, uh, not addition. It's not an addition. It's not guys. an addition. Re- revisited, revisited. One D and D revisited. <laughs> but no, it's it's definitely something that needs to be worked on for your bigger groups, for your smaller groups, your three to four players. Obviously, the regular initiative can work just fine. By the way, one D and D, our initiative thing that we do, it's patented. You must pay us to use it. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing: is like I'm sure that people are gonna nitpick this initiative system just like they nitpick everything, and they're gonna be like, "Oh, you're gonna run into problems here." But that's why I'm leaving it to game developers to be like, "Hey." Give me a better initiative system because this is what I came up with my own guys. This is what I want to play like. Do something better so it's not broken eventually. Also, rolling every round, it kind of gives you... How many times do you roll initiative and you're like, oh, I'm bottom again. I'm like four The whole entire... Yeah. You know, like it kind of sucks when you only roll one initiative. And I feel like there's ebbs and flows of battles where it should feel more organic like that, where rolling initiative every round should be looked at for as like, yes, I get to do this again. There's a chance that I can... Be faster this time. There's a chance that I can go first now. There's Or I can land a killing blow on the bad guy that's almost dead already. It just gives you more of a reason to be excited for initiative. Yep. You know, I really hope they also, as you were saying earlier, sort of fix the CR system. Yeah. To me, CR is a broken system as it is. Like, I don't think... It's just all off. Challenge rating, it doesn't match up. It doesn't match up with the combats that you want to produce. It doesn't match up with the difficulty level that you want to see everything at. I think that they should do three different stat blocks for every monster. An easy, a medium, a hard. That way those goblins can be relevant later in the game. And those dragons can be relevant earlier in the game. Mm -hmm. That way when you have one shots or you have those experiences when you're introducing new players to D&D, they can fight the dragons. How many of us has actually fought a fucking dragon in this game that we call Dungeons and Dragons? I have never fought a dragon. Really? Never. I have. Well, Ben made us fight one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but bit. that's the thing, bit. though, is like, why Why should you be hindered by a CR rating to challenge your players with certain monsters that you want to run or that you want to see them fight? Just like I was saying earlier, if a Hydra is part of your game plan, if you have a thing where you're fighting... You want to fight a Hydra? You want your players to fight a Hydra? Put a fucking Hydra in the game. There should be a rule set for that. There should be a stat block for an easy Hydra or a three to five level Hydra. 
I don't think that's it's hard that hard to do for all no, the monsters. I don't think it's that hard to do either. And also because of the monster manuals, and I'm just gonna say it, Wizards of the Coast, you need to release more than one monster manual because everybody else is doing their monster manuals and they're better than your monster manuals. <laughs> release your monster manuals. Hard. These monster manuals should be tomes of like three hundred books in my opinions, because the best part you know which book that I would I would buy first out of all the books? I would buy the fucking monster manual because that's like a, a read in itself. That's a tome of knowledge that you're like, ooh, and it spurns ideas for new DMs and players and, and everything else. I know a lot of players that were introduced to this game via the monster manual first as opposed to any other book because their parents found it at a flea market or, or a secondhand bookstore and started flipping through and seeing these awesome pictures and they were artists and they were drawing and got handed this book like, here. You like medieval and monsters and fantasy and shit like that? Read this book. Uh, you can't make a campaign without it. Mm-hmm. It is it is a crucial thing in every homebrew setting. You can get the fr- the free rules online. You can get the free free stuff online for character creation. It streamlines it. If you have D&D Beyond or any other virtual type character creator, you don't need it. What you do need is you need those stat blocks because there's only a certain amount of stat blocks available online for free. Especially if you want to run those beholders or eye tyrants or crazy monsters like that. Tarasks. Tarasks. That's another thing. It's like, who's ever fought a Tarask? Like, Never, come on. Not once. But I also want to see, like, when I say hard stab blocks, I want to see those obscene monster stab blocks again for higher levels. I don't want to see a nerf Tarask like they have in 5th edition. I want to see it all. And I don't think, like you just said, Justin, I don't think it's going to be that hard. Even if you just have the regular stat block as it is now. And all the damages and ability scores are in parentheses in different colors right next to each other. Color code it. Doesn't you mean like that. a green, yellow, and red? Exactly. <laughs> and it doesn't take, you don't have to change the abilities. The, all the abilities can stay the same. It's just the damage produced by those abilities. I don't think it'd be that hard. Not at all. You know what? We're going to start our own company. We're, we're <laughs> going to make this system ourselves. The power bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ben, something that I am really hoping to see in this next session or this next ed- this next <laughs> what do you call it <laughs> edition it's just a, it's a new edition okay guys said the word. go to jail it's, it's a new edition <laughs> new edition what just read it it's a new freaking edition <laughs> is we all talk real shit about the monk and i would love to see an overpowered monk in this next writing of D. i want to see the monk uh do a d12 of unarmed damage. I want him to be able to not have to use key points for everything he does or give him more key points. I want to see a monk that he's walking out there shirtless in some sandals and he is about to kick this dragon's ass. That is what I want to see. I don't disagree with you that that the monk needs some later level powering up. He needs to level up in the later levels. In the first couple of levels, the monk is pretty op Mm -hmm. but he definitely fades off just kind of like certain magic spells fade off and they're not really relevant in later gaming that's another thing aside from the cr level stagger your spells and level your spells up a little bit but the monk definitely needs needs some ranger treatment that the ranger got like halfway through the revised ranger the revised ranger that's another thing is when you go into this book the revised ranger better be the ranger don't revert Mm -hmm. back to that other bullshit Speaking of reverting, I don't understand why you release Tasha's and Fizzbands and fix things, and then when you release this on Arthur Arcana, we go back to the way that they were in the first place. We're looking at you, Dragonborns. I don't understand it. They really walked backwards with the Dragonborn. If y'all have not read it yet, Fizzbands fixed Dragonborns for us with their breath weapon specifically. All right. Well, they made it cool to play a dragon. And because they made it realistic. Guess what? If you're playing a fighter, Dragonborn, who has three attacks eventually, he's going to get in two sword swipes and then breathe fire on you or ice or he's going to throw poison at you with his breath attack. And when you read the UA, guess what? He can't do that anymore. You know what they did keep is they kept everything does a 15 foot cone and that's it. Yeah, there's no straight line anymore. No straight line. But I don't don't know if they had I don't forget if they had straight lines in Fizzbands or not. I think they did everything with a 15-foot cone, too, mm-hmm. but they just made it as a part of your attack action. Or you, if you have multiple attacks, you can do the breath weapon as well. You fix stuff in Tasha's. You want to talk about customization and stuff. Like, why don't we just take all this ability score modifier towards backgrounds and stuff like that and just say, hey, look, you get a plus two, you get a plus one to every ability score. 
now pick your race that doesn't affect anything. Maybe a couple starting languages, some uh, racial features like your stone cunning that we were talking about or your tremor sense. And then you pick your background. Your background is tied to your skill proficiencies and your feats. I don't think it should be that dependent on, on ability scores. I think you should just get a plus two, plus one and move on with it from there. And I really think that's how a lot of tables are going to rule it. Because it, looks it just at, makes the most sense. You look at the farmer. There's so many different kinds of farmers out there, right? And you look at it, it's plus two to con and plus one to wisdom. There's farmers that are just strong as hell. They're plowing their fields every day. M-O-O-N. They that might, spells constitution. <laughs> they, they probably need a plus two to strength, right? Yeah. But I also th- know that that's why in this UA they say they promote create-your-own-backgrounds first. Mm-hmm. I do like that. But if you're going to lean towards a, custom- a customization part... Lean all the way in. Give us that one D&D where we want to jump in and we just want to create all our shit our own self. I think that's the best part about this game is the fact that you live outside the boundaries. You're not structurally obligated into one thing. But then again, they want to create elements. And I, I hear you guys saying, not you guys particularly, but other guys saying like, it's for new players. It's for new players. If you have, If you have an elevator pitch where they're like, hey, you want to play this game where you can be absolutely anything you ever wanted to be and do anything you wanted to do and there's abilities that you get and you got a list of this stuff that you can choose and maximize your proficiency and blah, 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 blah. I'd much rather play that game than you giving me a list of fucking backgrounds and step-by-step that says, oh, you can only do this. You're either all in or you're not, Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> Come on now. Come with me. I got some candy for you. <laughs> Whoa. Or some buttered soda. There you go. <laughs> it's disgusting. It's delicious. <laughs> it wasn't bad. Speaking of butter soda. Adventures, it's last call, and once again, we are doing buttered soda by Fizz Pop. Rocket it's Fizz, Rocket Fizz, not Fizz Pop, Rocket Fizz soda popping candy shops. Buttered soda, you know, the first time doing a non alcoholic beverage on, on of Dyson Brews, expanding our horizons a little bit, dipping our toes, my toes, into some extravagant extreme soda. Uh, the buttered soda wasn't terrible. No. I've had worse things, like Pog. <laughs> uh, you're saying this is better than Pog. I'm saying that this was better than Pog. Oh, you're insane. Did you finish your Pog drink? Yeah, I did. Okay. I, I'm not one to waste, but honestly, buttered soda is going to get a two out of four from me. Justin, what do you think? Out of four, you said? Out of four. Yeah, I, I agree with you then. Uh, two out of four. Um. For me, when I'm tasting it, like I, I love trying out weird soda. It's the way I drink away from alcohol. Um, it's it, kind of like customizing your character in D and D. But um, I'm tasting mainly the sugar and just a hint of butter. See, I, I was getting a mouthful of butter, and I feel like I even feel like my hands are greasy now. Like you just <laughs> eat buttered popcorn, and you're like, I need to wash my hands three times because there's just butter all over the place. It's a fun drink to try out, but nothing you're going to stock in the fridge forever. This is just a party drink. Absolutely. This is That's why they only come in four packs, correct? <laughs> oh, they come in singles. I bought four. Oh, you bought four singles. They don't even come in four packs. He bought four singles. Uh, they, they had the case after oh, the, I bought the it. the choose your case. Yeah. Oh, I see it. I see it. Like I said, originally the enchilada soda. I wonder if you guys would like that a lot. Next more. time you come across that, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to get it. All right, Lucas, buttered soda. Give us your thoughts on taking a sip. <laughs> one out of four. It is without a doubt one of the worst drinks I have had in a very long time. <laughs> no offense to Justin, I love Justin very much, and I hate that I'm wasting it on me. Who, it won't go to waste. We'll, we'll make sure we'll so they some get some buttered soda. And everyone yeah. tries one. Yeah, it, it's like you take a mouthful of what they're trying to imitate as butter and they put some carbonation and they threw a whole bunch of sugar on it and you put it in your mouth and you want to throw up. That is my thoughts on this buttered soda. And Lucas knows about butter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I think we're going to go two out of four just because it's two versus one. So we're going to kick it to Gothar. He's going to tell us what two out of four is. You disappoint me. 
All right, just to wrap this uh, episode of Dub Dice and Brews up, I want to thank Justin and Lucas both for being on an episode again. We originally uh, recorded our little one one D and D review inside the character creation episode, but we decided that it kind of needed its own episode. So I asked these guys back again. Get used to hearing these guys' voices. We'll probably have them on many more times during our adventures. Uh, we got some D and D to play tonight. Woo-hoo! I'm excited to see where this episode of our campaign goes. It's going to be crazy. TPK. Yeah, yeah. And just to go back and reiterate, man, DMs, when you have a plan, just stick to your plan. My brain is so fried right now from trying to come up with a new adventure in one day. Panicked laughing. <laughs> and so we'll catch you up on the next uh, of Dice and Brews episode. Um, and we'll hope to uh, talk to you guys again soon. And just remember... When you are consuming your Bardic Inspiration, whether that be a non-alcoholic drink or an alcoholic drink, make sure you consume that Bardic Inspiration responsibly. And until next time, remember, life is an adventure. Roll with it.